Whenever people ask me to do episodes about Game of Thrones characters, they usually ask me to talk about and analyze the psychopaths, the Joffrey Baratheons, the Ramsay Boltons, the Cersei Lannisters, these kind of people. I've also done episodes on Sandra Clegane the Hound and Theon Greyjoy and also just general diagnosing all the characters of Game of Thrones. And I thought that I would today do an episode on one of the non-psychopaths, one of the good guys, Tyrion Lannister. I at first thought, well, you know, what could I really say about Tyrion? People ask me to do episodes on all the characters, you know, including um, Euron, Greyjoy, and all these kind of people. And I'm always thinking, well, you know, what could I talk... I mean, if I did an episode on the mountain, what could I say about him (laughs) other than that he's just a terrible person? If I'm going to do a full episode about a character on any show or any movie, I feel like I need some data to be able to comment on. And at first I thought I didn't have enough data to go off with, with Tyrion, but actually I do. There's a lot that can be said about Tyrion's development and how his personality came to be and some of the traumas that he's been through that influenced his life. That is consistent, I think. And that's one of the wonderful things about George Martin's writing is that his characters are rich and consistent and make sense psychologically. Not all the time, of course, but, but generally speaking, they do. There's a, there's a through line, even on someone like Ramsey Bolton, if you listen to that episode, there's a through line through his life, through his childhood, that leads him to where he was at at the time. He, he doesn't just emerge as a monster. He was created, and Tyrion's personality was also created. And so I thought I would do an episode on him. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Today's episode is sponsored by Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy service that lets you choose from hundreds of licensed therapists who are trained specifically in online counseling. And if you guys sign up for Talkspace this week, we're in August 2017, and you use the promo code Kirk, K-I-R-K, they chose that promo code, not me, by the way. (laughs) Um, If you use the promo code Kirk, then Talkspace might become an ongoing sponsor, which will mean greater revenue for the podcast, which will mean we can spend more time on this podcast, which will mean we can have more deep dive episodes, which I know that's what you guys always want. So if you're looking for a therapist or if you just want someone to vent to every day and you want some support around those kinds of things, go to Talkspace and use the promo code Kirk for a discount. And it's always weird to say my name out loud, Kirk. Use the promo code Kirk at Talkspace. Do it. Come on. All right. Um, If you want to hear all the episodes in which I've uh, talked about Game of Thrones, go to psychologyinseattle.com and under the Episodes tab, click on the Game of Thrones episodes. I've compiled a page on psychologyinseattle.com in which all the the, uh, Game of Thrones episodes are. I'm not sure, but this might be the last Game of Thrones episode I do. Not sure, but I, I'm you know people ask me to do Jorah Mormont or like I said, Euron Greyjoy and other people like that, and I just think eh, I don't know. I I just don't think there's enough there. If someone can make an argument, uh, that'd be great. 
And if you ever do make a request for another character, don't just like shout out the name, like really get, make a case for it because uh, I don't, I don't know if there's other characters that have enough information that provides enough for me to comment on. But anyway, so this episode is coming out in July of 2017, which means that I've, I, I have information obviously from the first five books and also from season seven episode up through episode two. So I just, I just watched earlier this week, season seven, episode two. So all of this episode will spoil up to that point. So if you don't want anything to be spoiled, don't listen to this or, you know, get yourself caught up kid and then come back. All right. So Tyrion Lannister played by Peter Dinklage. I remember seeing Peter Dinklage for the first time in a movie with um, with uh, Steve Buscemi in a movie called Living in, a, in Oblivion. It's actually kind of a, a cool movie. But the movie I really remember him from was from The Station Agent in 2003. I remember just being amazed at his acting. He's, he's a brilliant actor. You've seen that, obviously, in Game of Thrones, but in his other roles, he's he's very effective. I mean, even in Elf, if you remember him in Elf, he's great. He just has a really, I don't know, just authentic way of acting or something. He's also just an interesting person, if you ever you know have interviews with him. When he was on Saturday Night Live, he was hilarious. The space pants, that was brilliant. I Every once in a while, when I want to cheer myself up, I just watch space base pants, uh, this Saturday Night Live skit, when he did that uh, Naked and Afraid with, uh, what's her face, I think her name's Jones, uh, that was hilarious too, so anyway, Peter Dinklage, all right, so, Tyrion Lannister, in the books, he appears much differently in my mind's eye than the way Peter Dinklage is. Uh, he seems in the books to be much uglier than than the TV show. And this is really true to many of the characters on the TV show. Brienne in the books, I rem- when I remember reading the books, I remember just being like, man, Brienne must be just ugly. But she, you know, the, the actress who plays Brienne on the TV show is actually pretty, you know, and not ugly at all. Uh, Theon, when Theon becomes Reek after being tortured by Ramsay, he is described as one of the most gnarly, disgusting people around. But on the TV show, Theon, the actor who plays him, looks the same. Looks a little messed up, but not much. Ramsey's armor is another thing that was in the books that when you when it's described, it's described like a flayed man. It's the, his Ramsey Snow's armor was made to look as though he himself was being flayed. If that makes sense, there was all this like red. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but that wasn't depicted in the in the TV show. Also, Sandor Clegane, the Hound's face, is way more hideous in the books than it is on the TV show. And you know, it makes sense because they're because they're trying to make it be watchable, I suppose. But uh, at any rate, Tyrion in the books. The way I had it in my mind's eye, he was not an attractive person. And and Peter Dinklage is a you know he's an attractive dude. And when you put that quaff of blonde hair on his on his head, like he you know he's a good looking guy. But in the books, he he's not that way. Especially after he is injured in the Battle of Blackwater and has his nose cut off, I think he he looks even more hideous. 
But anyway, um, he is described in the books as a dwarf with stubby legs and a jutting forehead. So imagine a forehead that, you know, juts forward. In the books, he has mismatched eyes of green and black, you know, and they don't depict that in the TV show. And he has a, his hair is a mixture of blonde and black, pale blonde, kind of like Daenerys hair, and black, like Jon Snow's hair. (laughs) Um, So, and, you know, there might be some uh, foreshadowing there in that, if you're into those kind of conspiracy theories regarding Tyrion Lannister possibly being a Targaryen. But more on that later. Okay, so Tyrion was born in 273 AC. And that meant that during Robert's Rebellion, he was nine years old. And at the beginning of the first Game of Thrones book, first uh, Song of Ice and Fire book, Game of Thrones, he was 25. He's the third born child in uh, to Tywin Lannister and Lady Joanna Lannister. His mother, Joanna, died giving birth to him. And his father, Tywin, blamed Tyrion for this his entire life, which you just got to figure, like, why would you blame the baby? That's just awful. And so did Cersei. Cersei blamed Tyrion for Joanna's death their entire lives. And, you know, that's just terrible to do to Tyrion. After Tyrion was born, rumors spread that Tyrion was a terrible monster. The way he was described as a, as a, as a, as a baby, as a newborn was, you know, he was hideous looking with all these strange uh, elements to him. But as the rumor spread, the, the you know, because he had this, you know, he had different colored eyes, his hair was different colored, and he had this jutting forehead, and he was small. And then the rumors started to pile on and add more details. Like people said that he had a tail, and that he was born with a beard, <laughs> and you know that the black eye was evil and he had lot he was born with lion's claws and long teeth that you know like a saber-toothed tiger kind of teeth and they also uh, rumors spread that he had both a penis and a vagina when when he was born so people were you know the rumors are spreading like man you know because the the young twins of of jamie and cersei there's beautiful twins and blah, 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 and Joanna is beautiful, and then they give birth to this, like, hideous monster. And people were saying that Tyrion being born was an omen to famine and plague and war, and, like, just really, it was just a bad omen. Uh, Many people, including the Mad King Ares at at the time, said that Tyrion was a punishment for Tywin's arrogance. People saw Tywin as being, uh, uh, you know, rising above his station, you know, going too far because, you know, Ty, uh, the Mad King was the king and, Ty, and Tywin was just the hand. And, and because the Mad King was off his rocker, uh, Tywin had to, you know, be the real king in some ways. And so people, people including the Mad King, were saying that uh, because he was being arrogant in that way, he was given a child that was a monster that killed, you know, his his beloved wife. Um, also, no one expected Tyrion to live as long as he did. They thought, well, this this abomination is going to die quickly. And because of all these bad omens, they called Tyrion Lord Tywin's doom or Lord Tywin's bane. So they they uh, the community thought that Tyrion was like. Uh, 
I don't know, the gods coming back to haunt Tywin in some way. Okay, so let's talk about Tyrion's childhood now. As a child, Tyrion was a lonely child at Casterly Rock. You know, his his mother was already dead. His father was off at King's Landing being Hand of the King. His sister Cersei left Casterly Rock for the court at King's Landing, which is probably a good thing for Tyrion since she hated him and tortured him all the time. Tyrion's brother, Jamie, left Casterly Rock to serve as a, as a squire somewhere. And Jamie was the only person that Tyrion could really trust. So, so Tyrion was lonely. He was often by himself. He could hang out with his uncles, who I think were good to Tyrion in some ways. Uh, for instance, at the age of six, one of his uncles taught him how to tumble. I'm not sure exactly what they're talking about, like tumbling around like gymnastics maybe or something. And, and Tyrion, as a young child, really liked tumbling. But when his father, Tywin, found out about it, he forbade him from doing it anymore. Not, not sure why. Maybe Tywin thought it was a silly thing to do. As a child, Tyrion knew he would never be a knight, which was the dream of most noble boys. You know, most noble boys were thinking, oh, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be a knight in shining armor, like the Knight of Flowers or Renly or something. But Tyrion knew, based on his you know, stature that he would never, he would never be a knight. And he also knew that he would never inherit anything because his father would, wouldn't give him anything in all likelihood. And he knew that no one, he, and he probably suspected that no one would really want to marry him. So as a young person, he's thinking, well, what am I going to be? Who am I? Where, where is my self-esteem? Where, what am what's my purpose in life? And he discovered early on that he was smart compared to other people. And he thought, well, what job requires intelligence and also requires not being a knight and not being married? Well, the High Septon, a priest, essentially. The High Septon is the head of the Faith of the Seven in the cathedral in King's Landing, the one that blew up in season six. Again, spoiler. And he wanted to be a priest. He wanted to be the head priest of Westeros. So he decided to study a lot. And he was very dedicated to becoming a you know, a priest, the high septum, septum. He, as a young child, also had dreams of escaping his terrible family. He desperately wanted a dragon and asked his uncles for one as a name day present. He pretended a lot of times that he was a, a lost Targaryen child or a dragon lord from Valeria. He daydreamed about his father burning in a fire and his sister burning in a fire. And he dreamed that one day he would travel the world. Again, just going into those conspiracy theories that Tyrion is actually a Targaryen, this seems to be hints at that anyway. Dreaming that he, you know, has a dragon or really wanting a dragon or uh, pretending that he was a Targaryen or daydreaming about his enemies burning in a fire. This is all Targaryen stuff. Okay, so let's go into a teenager. Uh, and by the way, the conspiracy theory basically is is that the Mad King impregnated, I think it's the Mad King impregnated Joanna while Tywin was not around or something. And I think there's actually documented 
uh, you know, documents or, you know, there's, there's reference to a, an affair between the Mad King and, and Joanna Tyr, uh, Tywin's wife. Um, but anyway, okay. So let's go to Tyrion as a teenager at the age of 13 or 14. Tyrion and Jaime, okay, so this is a critical, critical story in the development of Tyrion's personality. Not, uh, and I should highlight a previous critical bit of his development, which was that because he could not rely on his brawn, on his body and his looks, he had to turn to his mind and he had to make it sharp and he had to develop his intelligence, which he had a natural ability for anyway, but, but he really honed that early in life because he knew that he wouldn't be able to, you know, it's like if you're deaf, you become very good at seeing things, you know, reading lips and this kind of stuff. And if you, if you're, if you can't see, you become very good at hearing things. And if you lose the use of your arms, you become very good at using your feet for things. Well, since he couldn't, depend on his looks or his body to get him the sort of life he wanted. He had, he really, you know, got his brain gone, which, you know, comes into play later in life. So anyway, that this, another major event or circumstance that shaped Tyrion's personality happened when he was a young teenager, Tyrion and Jamie were traveling together in the country near Casterly Rock, and they came upon a common girl who was about I think they, they say accosted or something, but I, from a, I think she was about to be raped by a bunch of bandits. These bandits were were you know accosting this young girl that on on the road, and Jamie and Tyrion rushed to the rescue. And since Jamie was the warrior, Jamie ran off the bandits single handedly, and Tyrion ran to help the girl. This girl's name was was Tysha. Taisha is described as being dark-haired, as being slender, and as being beautiful. She was a year older than Tyrion, and she was the f- uh, the farmer's daughter nearby, and her parents had had died recently, so she was an orphan. Upon meeting Tyrion and being saved by him, she fell in love with him. She genuinely fell in love with him, and this was a new experience for Tyrion. For the first time in his life, someone liked him. A pretty girl actually liked him. This must have been mind-blowing for Tyrion. And Tyrion fell in love with her. Tyrion was so in love with her that he immediately wanted to marry her. So this meant that he had to throw away his lifelong dream of becoming the High Septum, as you know, because priests weren't allowed to get married. So he was willing in that moment, in that, you know, in those seconds upon meeting her, was willing to throw away everything for her. But he couldn't get married to her without his father's approval, and he knew that he would never get his father's approval, so he bribed a drunken priest to marry them in a secret uh, ceremony. And there weren't any witnesses, so they used pigs as witnesses, so I'm guessing they were in some kind of farmhouse or something. Tyrion, after getting married to Tysha, bought a college, not a college, a cottage, bought a little house near the Sunset Sea, and they lived there for two weeks in bliss. Their honeymoon was wonderful. Tyrion, for the first time, was happy. He had someone who loved him truly. He was no longer around Cersei or or Tywin or the the Game of Thrones, so to speak, and and he was he was happy. 
I just love to think about this time for Tyrion and and how how wonderful it must have felt for him to finally have the love of someone, someone close to him. But two weeks later, his father Tywin found out about the secret marriage, and so let, let's pause the story here and get some background on Tywin because. Tywin will take a terrible action against Tyrion in this moment, and we need to understand to, to understand why Tywin reacted this way. We we need to understand where Tywin was coming from. So at the time, Tywin, Tyrion's father, was Hand of the King. He was the true ruler of the Seven Kingdoms since the Mad King was mentally ill. So even though he was just Hand of the King, he was essentially you know King King. And the Mad King was becoming more and more paranoid. And Tywin had his beautiful twin children, Jamie and Cersei, and but and he also had this deformed youngest child who, quote-unquote, killed his beloved wife. And so in these circumstances, Tywin comes home to, uh, to find that his son, Tyrion, had secretly married a common girl, an orphan, and, you know... A, a, a daughter of a farmer, you know, the, the lowest of the low. And I'm, I'm wondering what, what's going through his mind at the time. So this is a, a critical crossroad in the story of Tywin's life and a critical crossroad in Tyrion's life. And in a way, in a way this was a critical crossroad in the entire fate of Westeros for reasons I'll, I'll go into later. So on one hand, Tywin was probably happy for his son. I'd like to think that anyway. I mean, Tywin wasn't a psychopath like Gregor, Clegane, or Ramsay. He, you know, he was he was ruthless, but he wasn't he wasn't a sadistic psychopath. Presumably, he cared about people, including Tyrion. So on one hand, Tywin was probably sort of happy for his son. There's no evidence of this, but but I'd like to think that Tywin, Tywin was at least partially happy for his son. For his son, also. On the same hand, Tywin probably thought, well, good riddance. Now I don't have to figure out what to do with this boy. You know, good. Now Tyrion will live his life in that stupid cottage on the Sunset Sea, and, and this boy will no longer embarrass me. He's, he's away from King's Landing. He's away from Castle Rock. So, again, there's no evidence of this, but I, I just would imagine that he might think that. But on the other hand, you know, Tyrion's marriage to a common girl was a disgrace to his family name. The Lannisters are terribly vain, probably the most vain people in this world. And now one of the Lannister boys, even though he's considered to be a monster, but one of the Lannister boys has eloped with a common girl, and Tywin could not stand for that. So he needed to take action against Tyrion in this moment. But I also think that it runs deeper than that for Tywin. I think that Tywin was terrified. I think he was scared. Because I believe that Tywin actually cares about people, I, I, th- I try to think, well, why would, why would Tywin be such an abusive dick in this moment? Because I haven't said what he does, but when I say what he does, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's awful. And I, I try to figure out, well, if my if I assume that Tywin is not a psychopathic sadist, why would Tywin allow himself to you know um, to bury his good nature and his altruism and do such a terrible thing? Well, usually it's because people are terrified. You, when people are terrified, they're capable of overriding their empathy. And let me explain. 
So to understand why Tywin was afraid about Tyrion marrying a common girl, we have to understand Tywin's childhood. So before the first book, before Game of Thrones, Tywin's father, Tytos, was the Lord of Castle Rock and the head of House Lannister. So this is Tyrion's grandfather. Tytos presided over a period of decline for House Lannister. So House Lannister was one of the great houses, but Tywin's father was not a good leader and, and not a good head of the household, and La- the Lannister house was falling into demise. And Tytos, Tywin's father, lost much of the family's fortune on poor investments. So Tytos was investing in all these things and just losing money left and right. And people started to make fun of him, and they started to think of him as being weak. And this perception of weakness resulted in some of the lesser houses in the area rising against House Lannister. So they all rose up and said, ah, we're going to, you know, House Lannister is, is dead. Tytos is a weak, stupid leader. And so let's go kill them all and, and, and let's put one of us as Lord of Castle Rock. So basically, when Tywin was a teenager... Because of the way society saw his family, they thought his family was weak, and therefore people rose up against them and tried to kill all of them. So in this time, during this time of Tywin's life, Tywin learned that image is everything. If people see you as weak, then they will try to kill you and everyone you love. They will try to kill everybody. They'll destroy your family if people see you as weak. So Tywin, as a teenager in this moment, had a choice. He could have followed his father, but he didn't. He decided to strike off on his own, basically, and he decided to command the Lannister armies himself. And he battled with the houses that were trying to overthrow the Lannisters, and the young Tywin put down the rebellion. He won the battle, and he was ruthless in this effort. He was assertive. He did not wait for people to, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't compromise. He didn't parlay. He didn't have conversations. He killed. He took action. And this saved the family. So his ruthlessness during this time gave uh, a darker meaning to the common phrase for the Lannisters. A Lannister always pays his debts. This, uh, a Lannister always pays his debts used to refer to just money, just literally, you know, paying debts. But after Tywin had put down this rebellion against House Lannister, a Lannister always pays his debts. That changed meanings to also refer to revenge. So again, Tywin grew up in this falling house. He grew up internalizing the shame of having a weak father And Tywin's pride and fierceness and ruthlessness brought the house back from the dead. And as a result, Tywin learned that image is everything and ruthlessness is good and being ruthless protects the family from harm. So there was Tywin. He just learns that one of his sons has married a common girl and his son didn't ask for permission. And this is going to look very bad for the family. It's going to make him look weak. It's going to make Tyrion look like a fool And this may spark another rebellion against his family, which would mean that him and everyone he loves would get killed, including Tyrion. So what did Tywin do? Well, he called upon his ruthlessness as as influenced by his fear. But before I reveal what Tywin did, let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. 
just want to remind everyone that today's episode is sponsored by Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy service that lets you choose from a, a bunch of licensed therapists who are specifically trained in online counseling. Talkspace, as far as I can tell, is pretty buttoned up regarding ethics and confidentiality and training their counselors and making sure that all of them are fully licensed and all that kind of stuff. I know other sites don't necessarily do that. And also, I'm really hoping that if people are interested in online counseling, that they'll sign up for it this week by going to Talkspace and using the promo code Kirk. Because if we can get a bunch of people doing that, then uh, this week in early August 2017, then Talkspace will be like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's worth having Psychology in Seattle as a sponsor for you know this service, and they'll become an ongoing uh, sponsor for us, which we've never had before. So it'd, it'd be, and I think that Talkspace is a perfect match for us in a lot of ways. We're an online podcast thing, and they're an online counseling thing, and I think that. If, if we can spread the word about online counseling in general, Talkspace included, that a lot of people can get services that wouldn't get otherwise. So if you're looking for a therapist and, or if you're just curious about online counseling or if you just want to vent to someone every day because the, 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 their model is you get contact with your counselor every day. So if you, if you just need to vent to someone every day, go to Talkspace and use the promo code Kirk for a discount. Do it now. All right. So what did Tywin do? Tywin's scared. He's, he's learned his lesson from his father being weak. He needs to be ruthless. He needs to save his family. And so he has this son who has married this common girl, and he has to figure out a way to save the family name because he can't just command Tyrion to divorce this girl because it makes Tywin look still weak. So Tyrion, so Tywin needs to figure out a way to make this work at least as a neutral and maybe even in his favor. So Tywin pulls Jamie aside and commands Jamie to go to Tyrion and lie to him. He's, you know, T- Tywin says, Jamie, you and Jamie was always very loyal to his father. He always wanted his all the all the kids were always trying to get Tywin's very limited um, uh, approval, and so Jamie would absolutely do whatever his father did. And so Tywin commanded Jamie t- uh, to say that Tysha was a prostitute, even though she wasn't a prostitute. But so so Tywin says, Jamie, I want you to go to Tyrion and tell. Tell Tyrion that you hired this prostitute and that this prostitute has, you know, tricked Tyrion. So Tywin makes Jamie lie by saying that Tysha was a prostitute and that Jamie hired her to take Tyrion's virginity. This story is much better for the family image. Young nobles did this sort of thing all the time. So it would look much better for the Lannisters if this girl was a prostitute and that Jamie just hired her to take away Tyrion's uh, virginity. So Jamie followed his father's orders and, and lied to Tyrion, which broke Tyrion's heart. For the first time, Tyrion thought he was lovable. And for the first time, he had a relationship with someone, a mutual loving relationship. But after Jamie lied to him, his world was turned on its end. Not only did he think that his wife had tricked him, because that's what Jamie was telling him, but he also thought that his brother tricked him into 
believing that this girl was not a prostitute. That must have been humiliating for Tyrion. He must have felt like such a fool. He had thrown away his dream of becoming the High Septim to marry a prostitute who was hired by his brother to trick him. This is a humiliating experience and devastating to his trust in other human beings. Imagine that. Imagine you fall in love, you get married, and then your brother comes to you and said, uh, I'm sorry, but your wife has been tricking you this whole time. She's, she's actually a prostitute, and she, she just tricked you into marrying her. I mean, how, how awful that must have felt for him. So that's what Tyrion did. That's what Tywin did to Tyrion. But Tywin was still afraid for the family image. Because now the story would be that a prostitute managed to trick a Lannister into marrying her. So Tywin wanted everyone to know that people will be punished when they harm the family. So he went back to his ruthlessness as a protective defense for the family image. So Tywin had his guards rape Tysha and each pay Tysha a silver, you know, a silver coin. So imagine that one. <laughs> Your your father has a bunch of random dudes rape your wife in front of you, by the way. But that wasn't all that Tywin did. He also made Tyrion rape her as well. So imagine that one. You, you're Tyrion. You fall in love. You get married. You move to a cottage. You're having bliss for two weeks. And then your brother comes to you and says actually your wife has been tricking you. She's a prostitute. And you're like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, she's, you know, I hired her to, to have sex with you and to act like she was in love with you. So it's Tyrion. You're like, so, so you've been tricking me and this girl's been tricking me. Then Tywin comes in and proceeds to have a bunch of men rape your wife in front of you and pay her money. To, to demonstrate that she's a prostitute, even though she was not. Then your father makes you have sex with this woman that you thought was tricking you, who was actually not, you know, uh, tricking you. But imagine Taisha in that moment, just what she was going through. So traumatic and so awful and so devastating and long-lasting personality issues as a result of that one, right? Incidentally, in the books, Taisha is mentioned a few other times. She's not mentioned in the TV show very much, but in the book, she's mentioned a number of times. For instance, in the first book, A Game of Thrones, Tyrion tells Bronn about Taisha. You know, Tyrion befriends Bronn while they're traveling together. And Bronn says that he would have killed the man who did that to him. So Bronn's like, whoa, whoever did that to you, I would have killed him. And Tyrion says that he might just do that since the Lannister always pays his debts. This is, of course, for- foreshadowing to when Tyrion later killed his father. In A Clash of Kings, Tyrion confides with Shay, his second love, about his history with Tysha. Also, after nearly being killed at the Battle of the Blackwater, Tyrion dreams about Tysha. In the book A Storm of Swords, after Tyrion and Sansa got married, Tyrion told Sansa that he was once briefly married to Lady Tysha of House Silverfist, whose banners depicted a gold coin and 
a hundred silver coins on a bloody sheet, unquote. He's speaking ironically, of course. But, and this is the beauty of George Martin's writing. It's just, it's so great. I mean, so Tyrion's talking to young Sansa and doesn't want to traumatize Sansa with this terrible story. And he says, yeah, I, I, I was once married to, to Lady Tysha, even though she was not a lady, of House, of House Silverfist, whose banners depicted a gold coin and a hundred silver coins on a bloody sheet. So this is, of course, referring to her being raped by a bunch of guards, and that's where the hundred silver coins comes from. And Tywin made Tyrion pay her a gold coin because um, because Lannisters are are more worth it, and so the one gold coin is is him raping uh, Tysha. After the purple wedding in a storm of swords, when Littlefinger whisked Sansa away from King's Landing, Sansa told Littlefinger that Tyrion did not poison Joffrey. So. You know, Tyrion was accused of poisoning Joffrey, and and Littlefinger's taking Sansa away, and and Littlefinger wants uh, to be with Sansa because Littlefinger loves Sansa, and Sansa at this point is is defending Tyrion, and Littlefinger doesn't like that because he's jealous essentially. So Littlefinger tells Sansa that Tyrion was an evil man who grew bored of his first wife and made his guards rape her. So Littlefinger turns the story around to his benefit. Or maybe that's the rumor that went around. I don't know. Also in A Storm of Swords, when Jaime rescued Tyrion from prison, he confessed that Tysha, Jaime confessed that Tysha was not actually a prostitute. So in, in the last interaction that we know of between Jamie and Tyrion, Jamie finally comes clean. Jamie told Tyrion that Tywin made him lie about Tysha. That's when Tyrion decided to turn back towards King's Landing and confront his father. So, so Tyrion is, a, you know, he's been accused of killing Joffrey. He's being, uh, he did the, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? About uh, trial by combat. He loses. He's about to be killed the next day. Jamie and Varys come and save him. And then Jamie's like, uh, by the way, I just wanted to tell you, I might not ever see you again because you're going across the narrow sea. I just have to tell you that, uh, that Taisha was not actually a prostitute. You know, dad made me lie about that. And at that point, Tyrion becomes very angry, angry with Jamie and uh, is, you know, very spiteful towards Jamie, which is natural. And Tyrion also decides, I'm going to turn back, I'm going to get my father. So, so he goes back to King's, so he risks getting caught and being killed himself because he wants revenge on his father. Tyrion got a crossbow and found his father on the toilet. Tyrion demanded that his father tell him what happened to Tysha. Tyrion's like, tell me what happened to Tysha. Tell me the truth. And Tywin said, ah, I don't remember that. And then Tyrion's like, you do remember, you're going to tell me. And Tywin referred to Tysha as a quote-unquote whore. And Tyrion warned Tywin to not refer to her as a whore. And Tywin again referred to Tysha as a whore, and that's when Tyrion killed him with the crossbow. So we all remember that scene from the TV show, right? So remember that critical decision that Tywin made earlier in the story when he tricked Tyrion into thinking his first wife was a prostitute who was paid to trick Tyrion? 
If Tywin hadn't done that, if Tywin hadn't made Jamie lie about that, Tyrion would not have killed Tywin, right? Because presumably Tyrion might still be married to Tysha. I don't know. And, you know, so because Tywin did this, Tyrion decided to kill Tywin, his father. If Tyrion hadn't killed Tywin, Cersei never would have taken power, right? Because Tywin would have still been in power, basically, and might have made Tommen into a good king. And everyone would still be alive. Marjorie would still be alive. You know, all those people would still be alive. And Tywin probably wouldn't have allowed the High Sparrow to gain power because Tywin is smart. It's, in, it's interesting to think about. Also, when Daenerys crosses the Narrow Sea, the Tyrells and the Dornish people would, would probably still be allied with the Lannisters. So Daenerys might not have been able to do much when she crossed with the um, Unsullied and the Dothraki. But the things that would be the same if Tywin wouldn't ha- you know, didn't make that lie about uh, Tysha, the things that would be the same is that John would still be king in the north and the army of the dead would still be marching south. So none of that would have been different. So in a way, it wouldn't have made that much of a difference, but it would have been a huge difference. <laughs> anyway. Also, in a dance with dragons, as Tyrion traveled towards Danny, Tyrion thought about Tysha and how his father treated her. So there's, there's moments in A Dance of Dragons where Tyrion thinks back to uh, Tysha and Tywin. All right. So let's get back to the timeline here. Uh, when, when Tyrion was 16, so this is before the books, Tyrion wanted to take a tour of the nine free cities. He was very interested in touring around the world, but Tywin forbade him to go and instead put him in charge of all the cisterns and drains at Casterly Rock. And this was just another example of the mistreatment that Tywin did to Tyrion. Presumably because Tywin was still grieving the loss of his wife and still blamed Tyrion, but it's unsure. As Jaime and Tyrion were getting older, Tywin began thinking about how to marry them off as you know an alliance with different houses. Tywin tried to broker a marriage between Jaime and, and Lysa Tully. You, you remember Lysa Tully with the moon door and all that stuff? So Tywin was like, well, if I get if I get my son to marry Lysa Tully, that'll bring the Tully household into the power of the Lannisters. But the Mad King was paranoid and jealous of Tywin, his hand uh, of the king, so he made Jaime enter the King's Guard, which meant that Jaime could not marry anyone. Incidentally, Jaime and Cersei both wanted Jaime to become part of the King's Guard because they didn't want to be a part. So anyway, when Tywin offered Tyrion as a replacement to marry Lysa Tully. Lord Hostertully, her father, and Catelyn's father, by the way, said that Lysa Tully required a quote-unquote whole man, not a half-man. A lot of people called him the imp or half-man. So, so the, you know, Lord Tully was like, well, my daughter is fine to marry Jaime, but not, not Tyrion. Tywin later tried to offer Tyrion to Lord Royce and Lord Hightower, but they both rejected uh, Tywin's offer, you know, presumably for the same reason. Tywin even offered Tyrion to marry Delena Florent, 
uh, not a very powerful person uh, and was even known to have been deflowered by King Robert without being married to him. But again, the father refused. So imagine that. Imagine that you're Tyrion and you're being rejected by all these people just because of the way you look. I mean, how awful is that? Because, you know, being married to a, a, a Lannister, being married to Tyrion would mean that your children would be some of the most powerful children in all of Westeros. They would inherit House Lannister. I mean, if, if Lysa and um, Tyrion had married, their children would inherit Castle Rock and the Aerie. And, you know, that's a big deal. But they still didn't want to marry Tyrion just because of the way he looked. It's crazy. All right, so now we're at the point of the books, Song of Ice and Fire books, and the first one is the Game of Thrones. By this point, Tyrion developed a stable personality and a stable approach to others. He comes across as very arrogant to people, but he also comes across as thoughtful. He no longer dreams of having prestige in his life. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be high, high septon. He doesn't want to be a knight. He doesn't, he's just, he just has realized that he, there's nothing he can do in life. He doesn't, he doesn't have any options. And so he basically just drinks a lot and has sex with prostitutes. He parties. He's a partier. He's 25. Um, but he doesn't fall in love. You know, he enjoys women, but he, you know, never falls in love. And he tolerates it when people make fun of him. And, you know, it's, it seems as though everyone attacks him for, for various reasons because they think that he's weak or they think that he's a monster or they've heard all these terrible rumors. There were a lot of rumors about him as just being a terrible, terrible human being. I mean, it's almost like when in doubt, like blame it on Tyrion kind of a thing, which, uh, you know, followed through to blaming Tyrion for the death of Joffrey. And he really only had one good relationship, and that was with Jamie. He didn't, there was no one else that he had a good relationship with. So at the beginning of the book of Game of Thrones, he goes north to Winterfell as part of King Robert's royal procession when Robert wanted to convince Eddard to be hand of the king after John Aaron died. And then Bran falls from the, from the tower, and Tyrion makes Prince Joffrey offer his sympathies to Eddard and Catelyn. This is depicted in the TV show. You know, Tyrion's like, Joffrey, you're going to go to the family and you're going to offer your condolences. And Joffrey's like, no, I'm not, you know, he deserved it or something like that. And so Tyrion hits Joffrey across the face. This is one of the best scenes of the TV show. Tyrion just starts smacking him around. (laughs) And uh, then Joffrey agreed to give the Starks condolences for Bran's fall from the tower. After that, Tyrion went north with Jon Snow to see the wall because Jon Snow was going to join the Night's Watch and Tyrion was curious about the wall. It was, it was during this time that Tyrion befriends Jon Snow and says that he can identify with Jon since they are both outcasts. There's a great scene between Jon and Tyrion in this way. Tyrion returned to Winterfell and even though Robb Stark and the other Starks treat him really poorly, he gives Catelyn a design for a saddle that Bran can use to ride a horse, even though Bran can't use his legs anymore. Tyrion heads south, and Catelyn catches up to him and arrests him for harming Bran 
even though he didn't. They go to the Erie, and Lysa Aaron, Lysa Tully, Lysa Aaron, accuses Tyrion of killing her husband, John Aaron. So <laughs> Tyrion just gets blamed for everything. Bran falls from a tower. Ah, oh, it's Tyrion's fault. Uh, John Aaron died. Ah, oh, it's Tyrion's fault. So Tyrion is tried for both John Aaron's murder and Bran's attempted murder, though he's innocent of both of them. And if you remember from the TV show and the books, Lysa locks him up in a sky cell, which are these terrible prison cells with without one wall. It's just like off a cliff, and the, the floor is like sloped toward the cliff so that even when you sleep, you might accidentally roll off roll off the edge. God, it just makes my hands sweat thinking about it. Uh, Tyrion in this moment demands trial by combat and Bronn volunteers and kills Lysa's champion and Tyrion goes free. Tyrion and Bronn leave the Eyrie and are surrounded by men of the Mountain Clans. This is a little side jag in the story of Tyrion that I forgot until rereading the books, but Tyrion and Bronn run into these mountain clans who are, are going to kill Tyrion and Bronn. But Tyrion uses his quick wits to win them over. And they end up, uh, he promises them weapons and armor and glory. And these, these mountain men say, oh, okay. And so they join Tyrion. And they become like Tyrion's little army in some ways. At this point, Tyrion meets the young prostitute Shay, whom Tyrion becomes fond of and one might even say falls in love with. Tyrion hires her as a permanent prostitute for him, and over time, uh, they develop a really strong relationship. He stops being with other prostitutes, and he thinks at this moment in the books that he might be finally over Taisha, even though this one is going to go even worse for him. (laughs) Tyrion fights against Robb Stark's army during this time, and Lord Tywin retreats to Harrenhal and sends Tyrion to, to King's Landing to be hand of the king for Joffrey. So because of the fight with Robb Stark, Tywin's like, um, I need to be leading the armies. Uh, how about you, Tyrion, go be hand of the king because we can't have Joffrey running the kingdom. Tywin wants Tyrion to control Joffrey and prevent him from making further mistakes like the one he made when he cut off Ned's head. Tyrion tells, uh, sorry, Tywin tells Tyrion he cannot bring Shay. So, you know, Tywin's like, look, I I know that you've been hanging out with this one prostitute for a long time, and I forbid you from bringing her to King's Landing because it makes the family look bad. But Tyrion brings her anyway. Okay. A Clash of Kings, the book A Clash of Kings. Tyrion becomes Hand of the King, and Cersei is furious about this. In the TV show, they kind of make Cersei and Tyrion out to be friends, but in the books, they're—I mean—they definitely portray their animosity between the two of them. But, but uh, in the TV show, they also kind of try to make them a little bit more friendly than I felt that they were in the books. They hated each other. Well, mainly Cersei hated Tyrion, and Tyrion was just kind of like, in some ways, sort of indifferent to, to Cersei, and so. At the, during this time, okay, you have Joffrey the king, and then you have Tyrion, the hand of the king, and then you have Cersei. And Cersei and Tyrion are playing all these games with each other. Tyrion becomes friends with Varys during this time, the spider during this time. Uh, Var- Varys? Varys? 
Tyrion uses his intellect to remove hostile people from power. Tyrion sends Marcella to Dorne to be married to Prince Tristane Martell to get support from Dorne. Tyrion prepares the city for the siege from Renly and or Stannis. He uses the Alchemist Guild to synthesize a large quantity of wildfire. When Renly is murdered by the smoke baby, Tyrion tries to bring the Tyrells into the fold by offering the queenship to Marjorie. So Tyrion was the one that uh, managed to get the Tyrells into the family. When Stannis attacks King's Landing in the Battle of the Blackwater, Tyrion manages, manages to blow up all the ships and defend the city. He not only, um, you know, used the wildfire very effectively, but he also, you know, literally led the men into battle. During, during the battle, Joffrey runs away because he's a weakling. And Sander Clegane, the hound, ran as well because of the fire. So in that moment, Tyrion didn't have a good leader to lead the army, so he led the soldiers into battle. During the battle, Sir Mand- Sir Mandon Moore of the Kingsguard tried to kill Tyrion and sliced off his nose. Uh, presumably, Cersei tried to, you know, Cersei hired Sir Moore to kill Tyrion during the battle, but Tyrion was saved by his squire, Podrick Payne. Podrick, good old Podrick. In the TV show, he just has a nasty scar, but in the books, he loses his nose. <laughs> And Tyrion passed out at the end of the book, and, and we didn't know if he lived or died. But at the next book, A Storm of Swords, we find out that he did live. So after the ba- Battle of Blackwater, Tywin took all the glory, even though it was all the glory was all Tyrion's. And Tywin resumes being Hand of the King, and Tyrion is named Master of Coin instead. Tywin tells Tyrion that he has to marry Sansa so the Lannisters can claim Winterfell. Tyrion and Sansa get married. Sansa is repulsed by him. Tywin pushes him to consummate the marriage with Sansa for the good of the house, but Tyrion never does because Tyrion is a nice guy. Over time, Sansa learns that Tyrion is actually a nice person. So there's a lot of that depicted in A Storm of Swords. And that's a common theme in Tyrion's life is people who are repulsed by him and who believe all the rumors about him. But once they get to know him, they realize that he's a great guy. The Purple Wedding happens. Joffrey uh, hates Tyrion for humiliating him while Tyrion was Hand of the King. There, there were many moments in which Tyrion as Hand of the King humiliated Joffrey, including at the Battle of Blackwater. So Joffrey at his wedding, because he's, you know, and because Tyrion is no longer Hand of the King, Joffrey gets into a fight with Tyrion during the wedding. And during this time, Joffrey is murdered by Littlefinger and and Oleanna. But everyone thinks that Tyrion did it because, again, when in doubt, blame, blame the monster, right? It's just ridiculous. So Sansa escapes King's Landing, but... Tyrion is caught and imprisoned by Cersei. Because at this point, since, uh, you know, at this point, Cersei is, is, Cersei and Tywin are, you know, in control at this point. So there's a trial, and everyone presents evidence uh, for the trial that Tyrion is guilty. Everyone, you know, comes forward and starts lying, essentially, and saying, yep, uh, I have evidence that, that Tyrion 
was conspiring to murder Joffrey because blah, blah, blah. And there's a fair amount of circumstantial evidence that kind of points towards Tyrion, actually, some stuff that there were a lot of witnesses to. But um, again, Tyrion didn't do it. Even Shay, even his second love, you know, he loved Shay. Even Shay testified against Tyrion. So this is another this is another critical moment in the development of Tyrion's personality. But before we get into that, let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. Just to remind everyone that today's show is sponsored by Talkspace. Talkspace, again, as I said earlier, is an online therapy service, and we're really trying to get them as an ongoing sponsor. So if you're interested in online counseling, or if you're just curious about it, or you want someone to vent to every day, because as I said earlier, they're model is uh, the sort of therapy that you you get a you get contact with your therapist every day you send them a message and they send a message back and and the messages can be quite long and at higher levels if you pay more per week then you you can contact your therapist multiple times a day and maybe even get live video chat and that sort of thing so it's it's different from in-office counseling, and there are pros and cons to online counseling as opposed to in-office. Both, I think, have their place in society. You know, it's a lot more convenient. You don't have to drive to therapy. You don't have to shop around. It, you, you're much. It's much easier to shop around online because if you don't like somebody, I'm, I'm guessing you could easily just jump ship and go to another counselor on Talkspace. And it is it costs as little as thirty two dollars per week, which you know compared to in office therapy is is pretty cheap. So go to Talkspace and use the promo code Kirk. That's important. You, you got to use the promo code because if you don't, then Talkspace doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily know that that's where you got the message from, <laughs> and that's important for them being convinced to become an ongoing sponsor. So well, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But again, go to Talkspace. Use promo code Kirk. Let's get into it. Okay, so even Shay, even Shay testified against Tyrion. And I have to say, when Shay did this in the books, I was devastated because I thought, I thought Shay was better than that. But it seems as though Shay was never better than that. It seems as though I, as a reader, was just as delusionally hopeful as Tyrion was about this woman. She, she, she was never really nice to Tyrion in a way. Um, and it's just another example of George Martin never allowing any happiness to happen. <laughs> so Tyrion's second love, Shay, completely betrays Tyrion and testifies against against him. And this is a critical moment for Tyrion. So again, to recap, Tyrion, as a person who was growing up, no one would love him. He didn't have a mother. His father was always gone and treated him poorly. His sister was a tyrant to him. He only had his brother, which was good, and he might have had his uncles, kind of. And then he falls in love with Taisha, and he's told that she tricked him. So he divorces her. Then he meets Shay, who seems to like him. But it's hard to say if she really liked him or not, because, you know, of what happened. But Tyrion was so desperate for love that he thought he found love with Shay. Then when he needs her most, when he's being accused of killing the king and he's, you know, he's about his sentence, the sentence is death. When he needs her most, she totally betrays him. And not only betrays him, but betrays him in public. And not only betrays him, but also humiliates him. She brings up all these like little stories about, 
you know, a, little jokes that they had between the two of them as a way of humiliating him in front of, you know, all the public because it's a public trial. He didn't know this at the time, but Cersei offered Shay a house in King's Landing and a knight to wed in exchange for her testimony. So Cersei bribed Shay. But again, it seems like Shay was a shady person and might have done it anyway. I don't know. So Tyrion in this moment realizes, oh, Shay never loved me. And in the TV show, Peter Dinklage this is one of the most amazing acting scenes of all time. This, this whole trial is so amazing. The faces that Tyrion makes and that speech he has, it's just so, it's so uh, moving and also just kind of relevant to today because people are treated like monsters all the time today. And, you know, his speech really speaks to that. So this would have been a huge blow to Tyrion. For years, he had protected himself from being hurt again, and here he was getting betrayed yet again by another, by the second woman that he loved. That must have been really hard on him. So then, going forward in this story, Prince Oberyn Martell offers to serve as his champion in a uh, trial by combat. Tyrion, um, Tyrion demands a trial by combat. Oberyn fights the mountain and dies, so Tyrion is sentenced to death. The night before he is to be executed, Tyrion is freed from prison by Jaime and, and Varys. Jaime reveals that Tysha had not been a prostitute, as I was talking about earlier, and that she had genuinely loved Tyrion, and that Tywin had forced Jaime to lie about it. So this is the, this, the, the, another critical point in Tyrion's life. He's being sentenced to death by his father and his sister. And he's being ridiculed and condemned by a city that he just saved from death from Stannis' army. And now the second love of his life, Shay, has testified against him and, and humiliated him in front of everybody. And he's, he's tried so hard to be a good ruler at this point. He was Hand of the King. He was Master of Coin. And he did a really good job. He saved, he literally saved everyone in the city, but people still thought of him as a monster. And his sister tried to have a knight murder him in the Battle of Blackwater. And he just learned that his father ruined his first marriage through lies and having a bunch of men rape his first wife. So at this point, Tyrion has nothing. Even his own brother betrayed him by lying to him those many years ago. But he can do one thing. He can murder his father. So on his way to find Tywin, he finds Shay in Tywin's bed, one one more final blow to his eagle. And so Tyrion strangles her, and then he kills his father. All right, next book, A Feast for Crows. We don't hear about Tyrion in this book, other than that Cersei is offering a lordship to anyone who brings her Tyrion's head. Skipping forward to A Dance of Dragons. Tyrion flees across a narrow sea. Tyrion begins drinking a lot. Tyrion decides he has to find Daenerys. Presumably Tyrion thinks that maybe Daenerys could use his knowledge to overthrow uh, Westeros and his sister Cersei. Tyrion is captured in a brothel by Jorah Mormont and brought to Daenerys, just as in the TV show. Tyrion and another little person are forced to... This is... I don't think this is in the TV show, but... 
Tyrion and another dwarf are forced to perform a mock joust in the fighting pits of Marine. And Daenerys is watching this in Marine, the fighting pits. Remember that whole plot line of the fighting pits were important to the people, and Daenerys was like, no, and then the people are like, yes, and da da da. So Daenerys is in the watching the fighting pits, and Daenerys is sitting there watching this, and these these two dwarves come out and uh, do a, a a a comedic jousting with each other. And uh, what what Daenerys knew, but Tyrion did not know, was that at the end of this comedic act, a bunch of lions were going to come in and eat them. <laughs> but Daenerys was like, no, 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 no. You, you can't do that and called off the lions. So Daenerys saved um, Tyrion's life in this way. So that's all that we know about Tyrion at this point. So from, from the from that's that's what we know. Now in the in the TV show we know that Tyrion becomes hand of the queen to Daenerys and eventually makes his way to Westeros to uh, help Daenerys overthrow Westeros. But in the books we don't know that. Uh, we could probably presume that George Martin was helping to develop the story for the TV show, but we know that the TV show sometimes takes a very different direction than the books. And so it's just hard to know, but we do know what's in, in the TV show. So a little bit about predictions. I just want to provide a little bit of predictions for the future. Um, it's just so hard to say because it, it would, it would be a very strange story if Daenerys did not become queen of Westeros. I mean, imagine uh, imagine the entire story arc that Daenerys has been a part of, building up to this moment, and then imagine her just her and her dragons get killed. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't seem like a likely story. But again, with George Martin, you just never know. Um, so now, t- you know, Tyrion's fate—that's hard to tell too. But it's also hard to imagine that he would be involved in any kind of combat. So. If Daenerys lives, which is likely, it seems like Tyrion would also live. But again, you never know. The other thing, the other big prediction question that is has yet to be answered is, is Tyrion a secret Targaryen? You know, as I've been talking about, there's some hints that, that, he, that he is. And also, there's a certain symmetry to Tyrion being a Targaryen in that there are three dragons and you would, you know, one for Danny and one for John and maybe the third one for Tyrion. You know, there's a certain symmetry to that. And there's, there's things in the book that point to that in, in that each of the dragons sort of corresponds with Danny, John, and Tyrion. And there's a viable way that Tyrion is not actually Tywin's son and is actually the son of a, of a Targaryen because uh, Tywin's wife had an affair with a Targaryen. So, so we'll see. Um, but I would, I would, I, if I was a betting man, and I am, because <laughs> I, I like betting on things, I, I would say that, yes, it will come out that Tyrion is actually a Targaryen. I think it'll feel a little schlocky in some ways because it's like, you know, who isn't a, a, a Targaryen at this point? But I, I could imagine that happening. Okay, so what can we say about Tyrion's personality? We see consistent personality traits throughout the books. He's super smart. He's perhaps one of the smartest 
people in all of Westeros. He can read people very well. He's very empathetic. He's very intuitive. He's very uh, good about understanding how other people work. And this is proven time and time again. It's probably his best survival skill is understanding what people want and how to uh, convince them that he can get them what he what they want to save his life. And he does this all the time. He also doesn't trust people very well, you know, for very good reasons, right? He's been betrayed and lied to and harmed by people his entire life. But once he learns he can trust someone, he does actually trust them. And we see that in his relationship with Shay, he shouldn't have trusted her, but he did because he was so desperate. And there's a lot of signs. I remember every time Shay was on, you know, in the books and in the TV show, I'd always, I always had the sense like, I don't know if I like this person. <laughs> because, again, the way that George Martin is so brilliant is that he he left her ambiguous and we had to write, we had to see, we had to read between the lines and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, another part of his personality is that he's very caring about people. He's, he's a very altruistic, nice person who cares about other people. In some ways, he's one of the most empathetic people in the books. He's one of the most caring, altruistic people in the books. He sees society for what it is. This is another, you know, part of his intelligence. He understands that society is, is bullshit for instance, when he fell in love with with the common girl, Taisha, you know, he, he didn't care about the BS of society. He he wanted what was good in life, and that was love. He also deeply wants love, but he can never find it. Another part of his personality is that he's actually very brave. He's portrayed as, as being this, you know, uh, cowardly person who can't fight. But, you know, he's actually quite brave, and he proves himself as being brave in a lot of instances, particularly in the battle of Blackwater. He, uh, another, another, you know, evident piece of evidence of his bravery is that even though Cersei was constantly trying to kill him and, you know, undermine him while he was handed, hand of the King, he stayed in King's Landing. He didn't have to do that. He could have done something else, but he stayed there in the midst of all that. He's also incredibly persistent and, dogged and dedicated and resilient. He he never gives up, or rarely anyway. And the only time he really ever gave up was uh, when um, he was across the narrow sea and he's just like, well, okay, this is my life now. I guess it's just alcohol. But but he quickly bounced back and, and went to Daenerys. And th- throughout the story, he, he just continues to you know pick himself up after falling down and he keeps going. He's also a true Lannister in that he always pays his debts, both through figuratively and through money. He's ruthless when he needs to be. When the Battle of Blackwater was happening, he was ruthless, and he needed to be. He's an excellent ruler, just like many other Lannisters. He's fierce in battle, and he's vain and arrogant, and he uses money to gain power. I I have a suspicion that he is George Martin's favorite character. He is, uh, and I could absolutely imagine, George, I don't know, I've, maybe George Martin even comments on this, but I could actually imagine George Martin saying, like, I, 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 if there's one character that's me, it's Tyrion. <laughs> Although authors rarely say such things, but I could imagine that being true. Tyrion is a dreamer. 
He, his entire life has been dreaming of, of, you know, faraway lands and dragons and, you know, seeing the world. And, uh, and he eventually does see the world. All right. How about some quotes from Tyrion from the books? So here's a, a conversation between Tyrion and Jon Snow. Tyrion says, let me give you some, let me give you some counsel, bastard. Never forget who you are. For surely the world will not. Make it your strength. Then it can never be your weakness. Armor yourself with it, and it will never be used to hurt you. And John says, What the hell do you know about being a bastard? Tyrion said, All dwarves are bastards in, the fa- in their father's eyes. All dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. Another quote here. My mind is my weapon. My brother has his sword. King Robert has his warhammer. And I have my mind. And a mind needs books as a sword needs a whetstone. If it is to keep its edge. That's why I read so much, Jon Snow. Another uh, quote here. I never liked you, Cersei, but you were my own sister. So I never did you harm. You've ended that. I will hurt you for this. I don't know how yet, but give me time. A day will come when you think yourself safe and happy and suddenly your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth and you'll know the debt is paid. So when I read that quote, I think like, ooh, is, is, does Tyrion have uh, some tricks up his sleeve with regards to Cersei and season seven of the TV show? We shall see. All right, well, what's the final analysis on Tyrion and his personality and his psychology? As I said before, he's extremely resilient. Not only was he considered a monster his entire life, but his father was terribly abusive to him, as was many other people. And yet, he rose to become Hand of the Queen to Daenerys. And if things go according to plan, he will become one of the most powerful people in Westeros. So many times he could have given up, but he just kept going. He's extremely resilient, as many of the other characters are, like Arya and Jon Snow and Sansa. Um He's also a very, very moral, good person. He continually acts in an altruistic manner. He wants peace. He wants people to thrive. He, continu- he continually cares about others, even though they treat him so poorly. Um, so that's another part of his personality. Another part of his personality that we can talk about is he has, he has been deeply wounded by his loved ones. His father abused him. His sister abused him. His, his brother tricked him. For a while, he thought his first wife had tricked him. His second love, Shay, completely betrayed him. His father and sister accused him of killing Joffrey and tried to get him killed. He wants love in his life, but at every turn, he is betrayed and shunned. So that's another really important part of his personality. And he hides it well through drinking and through humor and by distancing himself from other people, as people often do. Alcohol is a wonderful way to numb one's attachment injuries, and he does that. The last thing I can say about Tyrion is that I, I think I know why we love him so much. It's because we can relate to him. We've all been hurt by people close to us. We've all felt like a monster. We've all felt like no one would ever love us. But he doesn't give up, and he doesn't hold a grudge, and he just keeps going. He puts the past behind him, and he just keeps going. He just keeps trying to make the world a better place. 
and hopefully he will. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 